I think it's important to not elevate your spouse to a position that they cannot fill. They're not the Lord, they aren't the Holy Spirit, um, but together you can grow in a way that allows you to uh, sanctify and draw each other closer to Christ. It's good to also recognize what your spouse's idols are and being able to speak into those and recognize them so that you can help each other grow in your relationship. Back in 1986, we wrote our own wedding vows and I vowed to always keep lines of communication clear and open. I thought that would be an easy thing to do. Um, I was mistaken when I thought that meant including all the details of every story. Then on the other hand, sometimes I don't give enough details and I think he should know what I'm thinking and see that I need help with a task and doesn't pick up on the cues. Sometimes I don't pick up on those, but I'm working to get better at that and to understand that um, what you're trying to say. But also, on the other hand, it's good to, to be able to just come right out and say it. Yeah. I'm always on the side of too many details. And my wife says, would you land the plane, please? Uh, when I'm telling the story, the details matter to me. Those are good, really good. Uh, my name is Bruce, and good morning. Welcome. Uh, everyone faces a choice. When it comes to sex and sexuality, we face a choice. We go for, and it's a fork in the road, uh, what Satan offers, or we go with what God offers. And we're going to look at God's Word this morning, and I'm going to try and plead, just like the Apostle Paul does, that, you know, going down the path of what God offers is so much better. It is worth the work and the struggle and the wait. Uh, this couple, uh, their marriage blew up when he crossed a sexual line with uh, a woman at work. Uh, once things were blown open, the real issue came to light, and the wife found out, unknown to her, for years, the husband had had an addiction to porn and X-rated movies. Uh, blew up the marriage, and uh, everyone that watched, their marriage had been well-respected, and so it was a shock to people. We were with a friend, and we were talking about it, and this friend was lamenting what had happened to this marriage and said uh, she's holding her two-year-old grandson. And her question was, uh, is there any hope that my grandson will grow up to be sexually pure? Or is he destined to be marred and corrupted? Is there any hope that my grandson will grow up to be sexually pure? We're going to look at God's Word today and see his answers to her question, and we're going to find hope. So our series is Marriage 101, and we've been talking, this is the fourth of five, and we've been talking about marriage and going to the basic Bible passages. So let's see how we're doing. Four weeks ago, I said, can you name the top six Bible passages on marriage that define what marriage is to be and what it's to look like? So here are six. Week one, we were in Genesis 2. 
the purpose of marriage. We have too many people that partner up and don't know what they're partnering up to do. They don't understand the purpose of marriage, that marriage isn't about me, it isn't about my spouse and me, it isn't about us, it's about him. Then week two, Sam took us to Malachi 2 and Mark 10, and we talked about marriage as covenant. And covenant is where marriage gets its permanence, its strength, its power, its glory, its resiliency. And Sam said a couple of things that really stuck with me that week on you can't unone oneness. You shouldn't unone oneness. And the other thing that he said was um, uh, we wage war. We're teaming up, we're locking arms to wage war because Satan hates covenant keepers. Because if the purpose of marriage is to reflect God's glory and bring him glory, Satan doesn't want that at all, so he's going to work to try and tear apart the covenant and destroy. Uh, Then last week, Kip took us into Ephesians 4, and we're going to next week hit Ephesians 5. He said the roles in marriage in chapter 5, they only work when you get the basics of relationships from chapter 4 first that we're going to speak kind words, we're going to offer forgiveness, we're going to work hard, um, we're going to build each other up. Those things fit any relationship, uh, not just marriage, but they are key to being able to fulfill what God describes as the role of a husband and wife in chapter 5. More on that next week. So uh, we are working our way through the passages. Today we're going to see what God has to say about sex and sexuality both in marriage and before marriage, his purpose. Because the greatest joy, greatest satisfaction to our souls comes when we understand, when we're biblical about sex and sexuality. So we're going to start today, and we're going to contrast what, God is, what Satan is offering, what God is offering. So what is Satan offering? A world full of abuse. Taking advantage of others hurting and harming others. That leads to a feeling that sex is gross, it's dirty, it's degrading, it's just full of negative memories and pain because I've been sinned against in the past. And if that's you, don't let the past define who you are. Take steps to be able to see yourself as God sees you now. The steps toward healing, stepping out of the shame. Uh, what Satan is offering, what he has done with the good gift of sex in marriage, he has made it absurd. Uh, confusion. And my question is who wins when there's confusion about sex and gender? Who wins when there's male and female confusion? Who wins when sex is a free for all with no limits or boundaries? Who wins when we pretend that hookup culture? and sexual and emotional baggage don't exist. What's your answer? Who wins? Satan does. It's exactly what he's after. Um, The absurdity, the term now is comprehensive sexual education. It's used by public health, the people that teach public health, professors, uh, CSE. Uh, It says it's really important that every school and the United States have CSE. And that is an approach to sex education that is 
positive about sex. What's that mean? That means it's positive about sex outside of marriage. You read a little further, and you get things like chastity and virginity are words that are just used by bigots to shame people. Really? Who wins when there's absurdity? The enemy. Abuse, absurdity, distortion, and deception. Uh, This is a world now that's sensual, in your face. It's all about uh, sexual fulfillment, that the pinnacle of life is your sexuality. The most important thing about you is your appetites, desires, and lusts. Distortion, deception. Um, Where did that idea come from? Who first argued that you are first of all sexual and then your appetites and your lusts are the most important thing of your personhood? Who was it? It's not recent, even though it's all around us. Sigmund Freud. And we today swim in Freudian soup far more than we are aware of. Uh, Distortion, deception. Porn is probably the biggest example of it. So serious that in Jesus' day he said, better to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand than to allow yourself to be sucked into that distortion. One porn site three years ago said, uh, in 2019, they had 42 billion visits to their site. There's only 8 billion people in the world. 42 billion. The stats are horrendous. You've heard them before. The number one uh, user of porn are young men, ages 12 to 17. Um, one out of three pastors says they struggle with porn. These stats are several years ago. I guarantee it's worse now. Distortion and deception. And it leads to the very things that we've had such tragic results in, in terms of how are women treated in our culture? How are women viewed in our culture? The demeaning, the objectification of women. I listened to a debate. None of them followers of Jesus. The hostess says to these two women, Uh, has sexual freedom in porn, has that been good for women or harmful to women? How would you answer? The first one goes, she's a Brit, and uh, she says, oh, definitely harmful. I told my boyfriend when we were dating, if that's on the table, uh, we aren't continuing. Uh, This is a deal breaker because it's going to distort and mar everything about our future if we allow it. The second woman goes, well, has it been harmful or good? You know, it's, it, it's done good for some women and it's been harmful to some. And I think it's a really multi-layered question and hard to answer if it's been good for women or not. Now, I thought that was a really dumb answer. But then she went on in her next sentence to say, I would really think that we need to get to the bottom of misogyny and why sex in our culture is so male-centric before we try to answer whether it's been harmful or not. What do you think makes it male-centric and misogynistic? 
That's what gets you to the objectification and the demeaning. And it's like, it just uh, is distorted and deceived. Um, great resource. Um, Mindy ordered this, thinking it might be a tool for our parents. Christy and I read it this week, Help My Children Reviewing Pornography. Um, it's thrown in their face early. Early. Great tool. Um, we like it. Chally's has written lots of things about tech, purity, porn. Uh, there's 40 copies out here. If you're a parent, this is good enough. We bought a bunch. If you're a parent, you want to take one, and you will read it, please take one this morning and, and, uh, and digest it. Really good tool. Last thing, what's Satan offering? Um, part of the deception and the distortion has been the drift. The distortions sexually aren't just out there. They're in here. The way that we view it and too much shrugging. It's just the way the world is. What are we to do? We're going to see in God's word in a minute exactly what to do. Because there isn't much difference between 2022 and 53 AD, as we'll see in just a minute. I asked the elders a question. A year ago, we were talking about a policy, and in a meeting, I said, okay, so somebody grew up in our church, and they made a profession of Christ, and uh, they're, they're walking with Jesus, they go off to college, they're done with college, and now they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe getting married, maybe not, and we come alongside the parents, the parents who said, that isn't good, that isn't what God wants, but then the parents shrug and go, what are we supposed to do? Uh, when we go as leaders in the church and come alongside the parents and say, okay, we'll go with you to talk to your son or daughter and ask them to explain why they're doing what they're doing. This is harmful. All the stats say this is going to be bad for your future. Why would you want to do this? We're going to go and appeal to them to come back and walk the path Jesus has for them. Will the parents be glad that we've come alongside them and feel like they're supported by us? Or will the parents be ticked at us because we put their relationship with their son or daughter at risk? The elder said, yes and yes. So too much uh, uh, today within the church of just, so it is, boys will be boys. It's not God's design, not God's intention. Uh, momentum. I was there doing a seminar, and right afterwards, a uh, uh, brother and sister walked up to me. Uh, the sister was a senior in high school. The brother was a freshman in college. Can you tell us what we're supposed to do? You saw pictures this week of debris and wreckage. Lots of it down in Florida. Devastating. It happens to people and hearts the same way. This brother and sister came up to me and said, can you tell us what we're supposed to do? We want to honor God in this um, Dad left mom for his secretary. They lived the next suburb over. Uh, we go back and forth every other weekend. Uh, Dad's living with the girlfriend. They're going to a different church. Mom is a mess and his fall, life has fallen apart for her. And we're supposed to go back and forth between the two and pretend that nothing happened. They weren't asking it like I'm saying it. They were in tears. It's exactly what Satan has to offer. What's God have to offer? Ah, it's good. 
his good creation intent. Would you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. I don't have the page number for you, the Bible in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where we're going to spend some time. What's God offering? Goodness. His good creation intent. Guilt-free, God-honoring sex and sexuality. That's what he offers. It is good and fun and worth waiting for in a world that's pornified, full of cohabitation, full of abuse. He says, got something better. Look at what I designed. Look at what my purpose is. The world can offer um, lots of sexual experiences, different people, different ways, different times. It can never offer what he's designed in terms of oneness. Oneness. Guilt-free, deep knowledge of each other intimately with freedom. So, um, what God offers. Uh, as a bo- uh, growing up, I was a Boy Scout. We did a lot of canoe trips and raft trips. So, uh, you think about life. If you're single today, you're going, yep, I'm paddling along and I'm going to paddle toward what God has for me. If you're a married couple and you're saying, yep, we want our, our, our marriage to reflect what God has for us, his good intent, what he planned from the beginning, we're going we're gonna to paddle toward what God has for us. It's good. Problem is, uh, you hit on a canoe trip, you hit rapids. Now, it's great when it's like this and the current's taking you, uh, it's going where you want to go. But in our culture, everything about what Satan offers, everything about sexuality is rapids against you. And you're having to paddle like mad just to try and stay on the path. And then you come to certain things culturally that are such a barrier, there's no way you're going to paddle up that. And so there's the thing we did in Boy Scouts called portaging. And so we'd have to, when there were severe rapids, to get where we wanted to go, we had to portage. To get where you want to go and what God has for you sexually, you're going to have to portage. And that means you go to the side and you take all your gear and you untie it out of the canoe, and you put it on your back, and you lift that canoe up, and you go across land to get where you want to go. It takes work, it is hard, and it is worth it because it gets you where you want to go. As followers of Jesus today, we are left with having to portage to get to what God offers us in sexuality. What's he offer us? He offers us forgiveness. He offers us forgiveness. What do you do with the guilt and the baggage that comes from past decisions that you wish you could undo? You go to Jesus. You go to the cross. He's paid for our sin and all those things we wish we could take back. He offers forgiveness. He offers healing. The things that were done to you, not by your choice. How do I get past that? How do I leave the shame in the past? How do I turn the page so that the future isn't determined by the past? The healing that only God can bring about. And you seek out help and counseling. 
One couple sat with me, and uh, God graciously blew things open on him. They'd been married for years. He had gotten into a porn addiction uh, on a business trip. It got blown open. They're sitting there, and, and she goes, I don't even know who I married. If this was secret from me, what else is secret? I, I don't, I'm scared. What else don't I know? was glorious about it. it he, they went after what God had for them. He turned away from the junk. He turned to accountability partners, turned first of all to the Lord for forgiveness, turned to his wife for forgiveness. God rebuilt that marriage, and to this day, it is healthy sexually. It is a wonderful testimony to God's goodness and grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's what God offers. We're going to have to paddle upstream and portage to get it. Um, how do you talk about it? 80% of Christian parents never talk openly about sexuality with their kids or students. 80%. Why? I think it's because, number one, either we aren't experiencing a healthy sexual relationship, sexual oneness in our marriage, so what are we going to say to our kids? Or we think the only thing to be said is, no, don't do it till marriage. Well, that's a short conversation. But there's far more to say, and God's Word gives us plenty to say. Um, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. We're going to look at what does God have to say about sex and purity and purpose. Uh, Song of Solomon, it appears three times there. This gushy love poem between a man and a woman. They can't come up with enough ways to talk about how they like each other, and it's got all kinds of sexual overtones and undertones to it, to where they thought, well, this doesn't belong in the Bible. It's too racy too juicy. No, it belongs there. It's the husband and wife and how they uh, treat each other and love each other. And the phrase in it several times is, uh, daughters, be careful, don't awaken love before it's time. Don't arouse or awaken love before it's appointed time. I had a bride-to-be in the office uh, and she was crying because she had given herself sexually to a guy back in high school. It had been years ago. But she's now feeling the remorse again over, I, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I was going into marriage and that wasn't part of the equation. I wish that wasn't part of my baggage. And her fiancé turns to her and says, you confessed that a long time ago. That's covered by Jesus' blood, and that has no bearing on our marriage and our relationship. He's exactly right. And she dried up her tears, and they love marriage. And God has done a good thing because of what he offers. So we talked before about chocolate a few weeks ago. Um, what Satan offers? Have it now. It's only three for a dollar really won't cost you much. Uh, Satan wants to offer sex outside of covenant oneness. Go for it. Is it pleasurable? It's got sugar in it. Tastes good. What God is offering uh, in his word, we'll see here in a second in 1 Corinthians 6, lint. $3 a bar. Which one you want? And his design is I've got lint for you. Yep, you're going to have to wait. It takes some work. 
It takes some self-control. It takes some discipline. But which one's better? This one is. We want lint. Um, second passage, Proverbs 5. Uh, Solomon is telling his son, look out for the adulteress. Beware temptations that are out there. You don't have to go to a porn site. It comes to your pop-up ads. It's on television. It's TV. You are bombarded. You're going to have to go against the current. And he's uh, an ancient version of telling his son, um, delight in the wife of your youth. Let her breasts satisfy you always. Be captivated by her love. That's the target. That's what God has for us. That's what he calls us to. It's a great passage of adore your wife. It's one of the phrases I use with Christy. I delight in the wife of my youth. I'm so thankful for her. She's lint, not landmark. Um, 1 Corinthians 6. So I said there's not much difference between now and 53 AD. Corinth was famous for its immoralities. And we're going to look at this passage because it gives what I think are two of the, the main things that help us get to what God has for us. First one, you are not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. And second, protection for your soul. Protection for your soul. Verse 12 of chapter 6. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Uh, for a follower of Jesus, verse 12 is saying, there's all kinds of talk today about rights. What are my rights with my own body and sexually and I'm free to do whatever I, want, whatever I want to. Well, as a follower of Jesus, no, something far bigger. Purpose is far bigger than rights. I'm not going to be mastered by anything. And is this going to be good for my soul and her soul, or is it going to be bad? I've got higher concerns than rights. Verse 13 you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, then God will destroy them both. That was the argument in Corinth that the body's just physical. What matters is what's eternal, the soul. So who cares about the body? Do with it whatever you want to. Food, sex, it, it isn't permanent, so who cares? And he spends the next several verses debunking that by saying, uh, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Your body's meant for God. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. You're wrong if you think the body's just temporal. It's eternal. Resurrection's coming. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. It should be unthinkable. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? There's oneness. That's what sex creates. For it is said the two will become one flesh. Where does he get that from? 
He's quoting Genesis 2. Two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So what are we to do to get to what God is offering us? Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, I've already said God offers forgiveness. God offers healing. What's he mean in verse 18? Because there are other sins against the body. Drug abuse, overeating, uh, no exercise, um, alcoholism, there are sins against the body. So what do you mean this is the, the only sin against the body? There's something unique about sexual sin that leaves a scar on the soul like nothing else. Is there forgiveness? Yes, but is there uh, a mark left that's unlike anything else? Yes. So he says, flee. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So you're engaged or seriously dating, and you go, well, we're serious. We're going to make a commitment to each other. We'll just take steps with each other's body before we get there, because after all, we're going to get there anyway, so what's the big deal? No, your body doesn't belong to you. And his or her body doesn't belong to you. They belong to God. They've been paid for. What price? Jesus' blood bought at a price. So these followers of Jesus, you, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. He paid the price of the blood of his son to make you part of his family. So you don't get to, to see yourself and what you do with your body as independent of his call in your life. It's part of his call in your life. And then he gets to the idea of protection in chapter 7, sex and marriage. Now, for the matters you wrote about. So these people had sent him questions about the sexual relationship. And uh, he answers those questions starting in chapter 7. Uh, first, verse 1, abstinence, sexual abstinence, isn't uh, right-wing bigotry. It's a good idea. It's wise. So verse 1, if you're single, celebrate that you get to focus on the Lord. He says lots more about that later in chapter 7. Verse 2, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not yield authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. So we go back to, first of all, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So sexual relationship, it's about me, right? Authentication or my authenticity to myself and following my desires and fulfilling myself. Nope. In fact, in marriage, uh, I have given authority of my body over to my spouse. That's the point of verses 3 and 4 in chapter 7. It's exactly the same as chapter 6, verse 20. You are not your own. You belong to God first. Then 7, 3, and 4, you belong to your spouse. 
And there is a very special purpose for that having given over authority. And it's the protection of the soul. Because in verse 5, he says, okay, so don't deprive each other sexually. Um, you are in marriage thinking, it's not about me, it's about us, I need to meet need here. But whoops, it's not just about us, it's about him. Because we aren't going to give the devil an opportunity. Verse 5. And if we're unhealthy sexually, we're setting ourselves up for the devil to get what he wants. Um, and so he says, you don't deprive each other. You are concerned about meeting the needs of your spouse sexually because you don't want to give the enemy any opportunity. I love what uh, one guy said. Uh, some husbands are jerks about chapters, uh, verses 3 and 4. Say, come on, marital duty. Uh, I expect you to, to meet my needs sexually. And one guy said, how about you make it easy for your wife to be obedient to chapter 7, verses 3 and 4? How about you care about, you, you've handed over authority to her. How about you care about protecting her soul and the sexual relationship in your marriage. That's what God has for us. The other two passages that are listed, Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, are both saying some of the fruit, the byproduct of once we belong to him, because we don't have authority over our own bodies, we've been bought with a price, now what? And they basically are saying, uh, look out for immorality and impurity. God has a purpose to purity. It's to bring glory to him. And it's far deeper, wiser, more soul-satisfying than, nope, nope, I want the landmark chocolate bar now because there's pleasure and sugar in that. Yeah, there is. But he has something so much better in Ephesians, he says, live as children of light. Don't even talk about what the disobedient do in secret. Probably means we shouldn't watch it. First Thessalonians 4, here's God's will for you. Be set apart sexually. Learn how to control your own body and not take advantage of a brother or a sister. Wise words. They all fit under that same category of flee sexual immorality. So, what now? What step do you need to take? Got a list of several. If you're in a relationship, whether married, dating seriously, engaged, time for conversation. What's the health of our relationship, our purity? God's got a purpose for it. How are we doing with it? probably a conversation with your college age, high school, middle school, elementary school aged student. Time for a conversation. Resource of the week. Uh, at the back of your bulletin, that talk on intimacy is one of the thing, best things I've ever heard on the theology of sex. You can read the transcript or listen to it. Activity ideas. We put the insert in your bulletin again things to do as a couple to strengthen your marriage and to grow and deepen your oneness. 
And then seek out help with forgiveness and healing. Don't allow the past to determine the level of health of your relationship now, whether it's a dating one, an engaged one, or married one. That couple that I started this morning with, their college-age kids watched the sexual crisis. They knew what went on. They watched the devastation to their parents' marriage. The parents divorced. She urged him to get help and change. He did. He sought out forgiveness from God. He sought out accountability partners. He sought out counseling. And he, by the grace of God and the mercy of God, got forgiveness, uh, got uh, freedom from the addiction, forgiveness from his wife, and he was walking with Jesus faithfully as a divorced man. Um, after walking with Jesus for a while, he went back to his wife and said, would you go out on a date with me? And they began dating again. And after about six months of dating, they remarried with their kids present. Their first marriage was all about what does Satan offer? Abuse, distortion, deception, porn. Their second marriage was all about what does God offer? A purpose for purity. God-honoring, guilt-free sexuality. And people now look at their marriage and go, God's done a work. So that question that our friend asked, holding her grandson, um, is there any hope that he will grow up to be pure sexually? or destined to be marred and corrupted? What's your answer? What's your answer for yourself and your relationship? Which will you choose? And for those of us old enough with grandkids that we'd ask about our grandchildren, how would you answer that question? Is there hope is there a different path? Does God have something that enables and empowers purity for his purpose? I say yes, and his word says yes. Would you bow with me? Father, every one of us here this morning has dealt with the struggles, uh, disappointments, uh, in marriage, some having experienced abuse and the, the disastrous uh, consequences and wreckage left behind by that. Some of us are children of divorce. Some of us have been victimized by uh, the sexual sin of uh, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, uh, a fiancé, a spouse. You, we declare this morning, are bigger and greater then all of that and the price that was paid at the cross is enough to pay for and overcome any and all of that. As a church family, God, we each come to you with our stuff from our path, past and ask you to, to empower us for the path of purity 
recognizing we are not our own. For those who are especially hurting, I ask God that you would help them to take the next step of help and healing and forgiveness. For those who have been um, made single again because of sexual sin and the distortion, help them to heal, grow in you, owning their own stuff but refusing to own the stuff of their former spouse or partner. And all of it, God, help us this week to reflect that you have offered us something far better in our entertainment choices and the way we treat our spouse and the way we go about thinking about our future. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.